Luke chapter number one. I was reminded of a scripture when we were singing that last song there that something that John the Baptist said. John the Baptist, when being asked about Jesus, he said, I must decrease so that he must increase. Amen? <laughs> and that should be everyone's prayer, that there be less of us and more of him. And I think that's exactly what that song is speaking to. We want more of Jesus and less of us. I want him to lead God and direct me. I want him to fill me up, use me, and pour me out in the lives of other people uh, for his honor and his glory. And uh, brother, great job. Great job to all of our worship team this morning and to all of you. You sounded so good singing praise to the Lord. It's already been good to be in the house of the Lord. Can you say amen? Luke chapter number one is where we're going to look at this morning, but I want you to get your place there in Luke 1, but also turn to Isaiah 9 and 6. Keep a, plate, keep a marker there in the first chapter of Luke, but turn to Isaiah 9. We're going to look at two separate scriptures um, to begin with, and I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible out and ready because we're going to look at a lot of other scriptures today. And if you can't look at all of them with me, that's all right. Try and write them down. Um, I can, as I've told you before, if I can ever uh, give you what I've written down, my notes that I have, I'll be glad to do that, but we'll go through this pretty quickly today. Uh, and I want to talk to you on the subject of the Christ of Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. At this time of year, it's very easy for all of us to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of the season. Would you agree with that? Man, I know it is for me. When, whenever you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, trying to find the perfect gift for the people that you love, uh, and, and then you're, you're trying to also get your food ready for the family gatherings that you're going to be going to, and you got to get all the, the food that everybody wants. You know, that's one thing my wife's been dealing with over the last week. Uh, she sent out a message to our kids about what the special foods they want at Christmas time. And so she's been running around trying to find all the fixings that they want uh, for that family gathering that we're going to. And then you do everything you can to plan out every family gathering around everybody's schedule. And if we're not careful, that which is supposed to be a blessing can turn into a burden. It's very easy for that to happen. If we're not careful we'll completely miss the whole point. We'll forget all about the Christ of Christmas and get caught up in all these other things. Now, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not against buying gifts for those you love. I, I enjoy that. As a father, I've come to find out uh, that's one of my favorite things. When I'm able to be with my family on Christmas morning and see them open the gifts uh, that they've gotten because of love. you know, And I love that. I enjoy that. I'm so thankful for that great privilege that God has given me. So I'm not against the giving of gifts to people that you love. That's a, that's a good thing because that's really just mimicking what God has done for us when he gave us the gift of his son. And so I'm thankful for that, that privilege to be able to, to do those things like that. I'm thankful for family gatherings. I, I'm not against them. I'm all for them. I think we need more family time. How about you? As a matter of fact, we're so much for it right here at Mount Zion. We're going to have a family gathering of our church family tonight just for Christmas time. I'm looking forward to that. Hope and pray that you are as well. So I'm not against any of that stuff. I'm not against going through the Christmas festivities and having a great time with it. I want you to have a great time. But in the midst of all those things, don't miss the point. Don't miss the main thing. Don't forget the Christ of Christmas 
For if you do, then listen, uh, you're missing out on a great opportunity to show honor and allegiance and worship to Him. Can you say amen? See, Christmas is truly about our recognition of who Christ is. Now, I know a baby was born in the manger, or excuse me, born in a stable and laid in a feeding trough, laid in a manger. I get that. But we must recognize who that baby is. And when we truly recognize who He is, then we can't help but worship. See, at Christmas time, we recognize that this is the moment when God kept his promise. Can you say amen? This is the moment when God inserted himself into our mess. Years ago, there was a great gospel group by the name of Charles Johnson and the Revivers. Has anybody ever heard of them? One of my absolute favorite gospel groups. And they had a live album out that they'd done at Christmas time. And before one of the songs, I'll never forget the commentary that uh, Charles Johnson gave before he sang. He said, you know, Christmas time is about when God the Father looked down upon planet Earth and saw our mess. And because he knew we couldn't fix our mess, he came to do it for us in the person of his son. And that's exactly right. How many of you know, apart from Christ, we're all in a mess. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope. Apart from Jesus, we are condemned and dead in our sin. Christmas time is when God saw our mess and inserted himself into it. And so when we recognize truly what this season is all about, we can't help but give honor and glory and worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss the Christ of Christmas, because it's so easy to do it. Now, because I believe in the importance of bringing uh, worship to the Lord, and because I believe in the importance of us recognizing what this is really all about, I want to make three statements this morning concerning the Christ of Christmas, what we believe concerning who Jesus is, and then I'm going to do everything I can to prove it to you by the truth of the Word of God and historical record. All right? Number one, Jesus is... The Son of God. Now, we saw uh, here in Luke chapter number 1, or we're fixing to, the story of when Gabriel came and gave the message to Mary that she was going to bear a son. Now, look what it says. Verse number 30 to begin with. Luke 1, verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Gabriel said to Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thine womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Now watch, verse 32. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. For his kingdom there shall be no end. Can you say amen to that? How many of you are thankful this morning you're a part of the kingdom of God? How many of you are thankful this morning that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades itself, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it? How many of you are thankful this morning that we live in a dark world with an enemy called Satan, and even though we need to respect his power, we need not fear his power because my God is greater in me than he that's in the world? We're thankful today that the promise Gabriel made is still ringing true. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And it will always be true all throughout eternity. What a blessing it truly is to see the truth of the word of God fulfilled. Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So really what she's saying is, I've never known a man physically. I am a virgin. Look what he says here, verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest 
shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born unto thee shall be called, everybody read it with me, the Son of God. The Bible makes the claim that Jesus is the Son of God. We make the claim as born-again, blood-bought believers that Jesus is the Son of God. Christmas time is about when the Son of God entered humanity. <laughs> now, listen to me, folks. How do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? There's one word that I want to give you. There's proof in prophecy. Everybody say, proof in prophecy. We can look throughout the Word of God and see many, many, many prophetic statements that were made hundreds and even thousands of years leading up to the birth of Christ. God said, I'm going to give you some signs that you're to look for, some truth that's going to be evident when the Messiah comes, when the Son of God comes into humanity. And the Bible gives us several of them. As a matter of fact, there's over 300 different prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus. Now listen uh, at some of the things, some of the ways that God gives us uh, concerning the, the prophetic proof in His Word throughout the Old Testament. First of all, concerning the birth of the Son of God, the Bible tells us when He would be born. Do you know that? In Daniel chapter number 9, for you Wednesday night Bible study folks who come on Wednesday evenings, you remember when we studied the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel laid out for us perfectly the timeline of when the, the Messiah would actually be born, when the Son of God would be born into mankind. And so uh, the Bible tells us when, with amazing accuracy, just exactly the year of the birth of Christ, right down uh, to, the, to the very time when, when it actually happened. Amazing. And that happened, listen to me now, 500 years before Jesus was born. So Daniel, 500 years before the birth of Christ, foretold when he would be born. The Bible also tells us where he would be born. Micah chapter number 5. And verse number 2 gives us that scripture where the, the Bible says that it would be in Bethlehem that the, the Messiah would come and be born into mankind. Look what it says. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, watch this now, and from everlasting. How many of you believe this morning that when Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he didn't become the Son of God. He's always been the Son of God, even before the beginning. Even before Genesis 1-1. Praise the Lord. You need to understand, God revealed Himself to us in the person of His Son there in Bethlehem as a baby born in a stable and laid in a manger, but Jesus has always been the Son of God. He has ruled from everlasting to everlasting. The Bible foretold not just when he would be born, but where he would be born, in Bethlehem. The Bible also told us how he would be born. Genesis chapter number 3, 
Verse number 15 gives us that truth. That was 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, meaning Satan, the, the, the tempter there in the garden, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his seal. So what's the Bible saying in Genesis 3.15? That the coming Savior, who would take care of the sins of all mankind, listen to me now, would be born of a woman. That's how he's going to enter into mankind. The Bible told us when he would be born. The Bible told us how he would be born. The Bible told us where he would be born. But the Bible also tells us a whole lot of other things concerning who the Savior would be so we'd know what to look for when he came. Now, it's, it's just like God took the telescope of prophecy all the way back in the book of Genesis and began zeroing in on one person in time. One moment in time. When he himself in the person of his son would enter into our mess. When he would come and do for us what we couldn't do. Listen to this. The Bible tells us to what race the Savior would be born. The human race. That's in Genesis 3.15, the scripture we just read. But also in Genesis chapter 12, when God promised to Abraham that it was through the seed and lineage of Abraham that all the world would be blessed. The Bible tells us what division of the human race that the, the, the Messiah would be born into. The, the, the division of the Jews. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3, if you remember the scripture, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto Abraham as righteousness. Can you say amen? That means God imputed his righteousness to Abraham by faith. And that's the same way the righteousness of God is still imputed to people today. It's through faith in who God is and what God said. So Abraham believed God. God said, Abraham, because you believe me and because you trusted me, I'm putting my righteousness righteousness on your account and it's through you Abraham listen to me now that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed it's through your seed and you're going to have many sons and daughters amen you're going to have sons and daughters like the sands of the seashore and the stars in the heaven now the amazing thing was Abraham was a very old man at this time and hadn't had any kids yet but by faith he believed God and God counted unto him for righteousness and he said you know what it's through the, 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 the people of the Jews that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What's he talking about? He's talking about the coming Savior. He's talking about the one who could come and pay for the sins of all mankind. Every race, every nationality, every color, every creed. The Bible tells us when he would be born, how he would be born, where he would be born. To what race he would be born, the human race. The Bible tells us what division of that race, the Jews. But the Bible also tells us in the book of Numbers what tribe of the Jews he would be born to. The Bible says in the book of Numbers that he would be born of the tribe of Judah. You'll find that, um, excuse me, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Uh, so the Bible tells us not, not only that the, the family, but, but also the tribe. And then the Bible tells us Listen to me now, uh, the, the family of, who, of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says he would be born as a son of David, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. And then the Bible tells us what would happen at his birth. In Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 17, the Bible says that a star in the heavens would mark the place 
where the babe would be born. So do you see how God, all the way back, even 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, began using that prophetic telescope to zero in on that one person in that one moment of time that would be born as a baby in Bethlehem? How do we know that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be? He's the Son of God. Because of the prophetic proof that happened exactly like God said it was going to happen. The Bible is the only book who tells the ending from the beginning. And that's exactly what the prophetic statements concerning the Messiah's first coming did in pointing to the Lord Jesus. Told the end from the beginning. How many of you ever heard of Ben Stein? If you've not heard of him, you've probably seen him. He was on one of my favorite childhood movies. How many of you remember Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Y'all remember that? Well, Ben Stein was the teacher in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The teacher who talked in that same monotone voice and was always asking anyone, anyone, y'all remember that? Well, that was Ben Stein. Ben Stein, a few years ago, put out a documentary called Expelled. And in that documentary, he talked about the probability of one man fulfilling just seven prophecies concerning his birth. One man fulfilling seven prophecies. He said the probability of one man being able to fulfill seven prophecies like Jesus did concerning his birth, the, 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 the number is astronomical, the probability of that. And the way he described it is this. He said it's like taking... A, a, a whole lot of quarters and spreading them over all the state of Texas to where the, the quarters are seven feet thick. So imagine that. You've got quarters spread over the whole landscape of Texas seven feet deep. That's amazing. It's amazing if you know how big Texas is. I, I've never really spent a lot of time in Texas, but I went through Texas. Let me give you my experience of what happened when I went through Texas. I, I left on a, was going on a mission trip. We was on a Greyhound bus. And we get to uh, the, the Louisiana line, uh, entering into Texas one night about 11.30 on our way to Tucson, Arizona. So we cross the line, and at the time we cross the line, we stop and, and get a bite to eat, something to drink. Then they got back on the road, and I went to sleep. That was about 11.30. I woke up the next morning at 8 o'clock, looked out the window. Guess what I saw? Texas. We're still in Texas. So then I, I went a little bit further. I, about 11.30 that evening, we stopped and ate dinner. Guess where we stopped and ate dinner at? Texas. We had been riding all night and pretty much all day, and we are still in Texas. Texas is a big place. So Ben Stein says, imagine taking uh, quarters and spreading them all over the state of Texas seven feet thick. He said, then you mark one quarter. You blindfold yourself and flip over, over your, back over your head that quarter into that pile. And then you hire bulldozers to come in and mix up all of those quarters. He said, and then you walk out blindfolded in the midst of those quarters and pick up the quarter you marked. He said, the probability of one man fulfilling the prophecies of his birth, just seven of them, would be like you finding that quarter. Does that make sense to you? Now listen. 
there were 313 prophecies of the Old Testament. Just like the ones I just shared with you. Concerning the first coming of Christ that he fulfilled perfectly. Let me ask you, did that happen by accident? How could that happen by coincidence? How can a man arrange where he would be born? When he would be born? What he'd do when he got here? <laughs> Nobody can. Only God can do that. God used that prophetic telescope to zero in on one person, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Amen? Let me give you statement number two. Not only is Jesus the Son of God, but now listen to me. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is God the Son. Now, when does, what does the Bible say about Jesus being uh, God the Son? And, and, and what does the Bible say about Jesus being the Son of God? And, and I, I want to answer this question because I heard just recently a liberal theologian come out and say that Jesus never actually claimed to be the Son of God. I heard that on a, a nationally televised program not, not just two weeks ago. Now let me ask you something. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be the Son of God or God the Son? Well, if you ever hear somebody say that, you can rest assured that they've never read their Bible. That they don't believe in the absolute authority of Scripture. Because Jesus said it many times. I'm just going to give you three of them. First of all, it happens in John chapter number 8 and verse number 58. John chapter 8. Verse number 58, Jesus was doing things that nobody had ever saw before. Jesus was healing people that were diseased and blind and deaf and, and dumb, and he was doing things, physically speaking, that was unexplainable, miraculous things. Jesus was casting out demons. Jesus was doing things nobody had ever seen. And because of that, those who had power in that time, the religious hierarchy, there in the Jew, among the Jewish people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they began to get very angry at Jesus because they were really taking his, taking, he was taking their clout. He was taking their following. And their following is how they made their money. And so they didn't want to let Jesus take all of the ones that was following them. So they hatched out a plan to actually kill him. Now, let, let me share with you how all of that started. It happened in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Look with me there in verse number 58. Jesus is doing all of these miraculous things. They get mad about it. And Jesus pretty much said, If you were truly the children of Abraham, if you were truly the children of your father Abraham like you claimed to be, then you would rejoice at my coming. And so they said, well, how, how, because Abraham rejoiced at my coming. And so they asked him a question. They said, well, how can you say Abraham rejoiced at your coming? You're not even 50 years old yet. And Abraham died 4,000 years ago. Jesus said this, watch. I'm just paraphrasing. You can go back and read it on your own. But in John chapter 8 and verse number 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. A lot of the meaning of this is lost in translation. In the original language, these people would have known full well 
what Jesus was claiming. You remember the story of when Moses was called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Do you remember that? Where did it happen at? The burning bush. The Bible says that Moses saw a bush that was burnt but was not consumed. And it was from that bush on the backside of the Midian Desert that God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people and I'm going to use you to lead them out of bondage. And Moses began giving every excuse in the book. Lord, I can't do it. I can't speak well. Lord, it's not me. You know who I am. You know what I've done. And God said, Moses, I want you to do what I've told you to do. And Moses said, well, Lord, Pharaoh is never going to let me in and let those people go if he knows I'm coming. That's not going to happen. He said, what am I going to tell Pharaoh uh, when I get there? Who am I going to say sent me? You know what God told Moses? You tell him the great I am sent you. These Hebrew people that Jesus was speaking with, when he made the claim to be the great I am, they would have known full well the claim he was making. Look at the next verse. John chapter 8, verse number 59. The Bible says, Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Why would they take up stones to cast at him? Because they felt he committed blasphemy. They knew he had just claimed to be God. They knew that the, the, the charge for blasphemy was, was to be killed by stoning. The Bible says it in the book of Numbers. So what they did is they took up stones to cast at him and Jesus, being cooler than the other side of the pillow, walked right out of the midst of them. I love that when it says it. I don't know how all that works or what all that means. But I, I believe supernaturally he just kind of in, in thin air, vanished and walked through them. I truly believe that. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've made a, 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 your decision to trust Him as Savior, that's your Jesus. Wow. Not only did He claim to be God, the Son of God and God the Son in John chapter 8, but he also claimed it in John 14. You remember the, the story, John 14 and verse number 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then Philip speaks up and he says, Well, Lord, we've been so, all this time with you, and if you'll just show us the Father, that'll satisfy us. And what did Jesus say? Philip, I've been all this time with you, and I've taught you all these things, and you've seen all this stuff I've done. Have you not known me yet? He says then, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's the claim Jesus is making? He's making the claim that I am the revelation of the living God. I am God in human flesh. John 17. You'll find the story of Jesus giving the high priestly prayer before he goes to the cross. And when he's praying, he prays that we as his followers would be one as he and his heavenly father are. 
That's just one time he makes that claim. He makes it several times that he and the Father are one. Jesus claimed multiple times throughout the scripture that he is the Son of God and he is God the Son. But he didn't just speak it. He didn't just say it. He proved it. Years ago, um, I was going to a jiu-jitsu tournament. I'll never forget it. And one of the young men that were there with me was a, a man by the name of Justin Cavender. And so Justin was there when we got there. And we walked up and sat down by him. And uh, he had one of his students with him. And while we were sitting there, that young man was talking about all that he was fixing to do in that tournament. I mean, he was just really talking big about how he was going to do this and how he was going to do that and how this is going to happen and how he was going to win. And when he got finished talking, I'll never forget what Justin said. He looked at him and said, well, the easy part's over with. <laughs> how many of you know it's easy to make those claims about anything? It's easy to talk a good game. But what really counts is if you, if you can actually prove what you've said. That's what makes it powerful. Now let me tell you something about Jesus that I love. Jesus didn't just say he was the Son of God. He didn't just say he was God the Son. Jesus proved he was the Son of God and God the Son. He said, brother, how did he do that? Well, the Bible tells us. How many know that Jesus had absolute power over all disease? All disease. Think about that just a moment. Every disease that he encountered, he was able to heal. The Bible teaches that, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 23. Brothers, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Matthew 4, 23 says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner. Everybody say all manner. That's not some diseases, that's not most diseases, that's all diseases. All manner of diseases and all manner of disease among the people. All manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So Jesus had complete power over disease. But how many of you also know Jesus had complete power over death? One thing I love about the Lord Jesus Christ, there was never a funeral he went to he didn't mess up. He went to three that I know of. The, one of them was when he, he went um, to the, he actually saw the funeral procession on the way to the graveyard for what the Bible calls the widow of Nain's son. The Bible says Jesus walks up to the funeral procession, sees the heartbrokenness of this mama, lays his hand there on the casket, speaks to her son, and the boy gets up out of the casket. Amazing. How could he do this? Because he's the son of God. And because he's God the son in human flesh. God incarnate. There was another time when the, uh, the, uh, Jesus goes in John chapter number 11. You remember the story when Lazarus, Mary and Martha sends for Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus abode where he was at for two more days before he left. And so he was four days late 
when he got there. How many of you believe today, just like the old song says, when he's four days late, he's right on time? <laughs> Sometimes, man, we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we ask God to do this over and over and over again. We wonder, Lord, why ain't you answering my prayer? We've confessed everything we need to confess. Listen, we've done everything we can, just like the Bible says we need to do it, so that we might be in the center of God's will, so that our prayers won't be hindered and it's still not being answered. And we say, God, why are you not answering me? Be confident. Take heart, brothers and sisters. His time is perfect. He's never early. He's never late. He's right on time. I've seen that in my life over and over and over again. And listen, he was right on time when it came to Lazarus because the Bible said that Jesus, after Lazarus had been buried and been in the ground for three, four days, he stood outside the sepulcher and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says when they rolled that stone back, Lazarus walked out of that tomb. And Jesus said, loose him. Praise God and let him go. How was Jesus able to do this? How did he have power over death? I'll tell you how. He's the son of God. And he's God the son. He had power over disease. He had complete power over death. How many of you know, listen to me now. He has complete power over natural disasters. Complete power and authority. Mark chapter 4, there's a story of when Jesus was with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says he was asleep in the hinder part of the ship on a pillow. And the storm was raging, wind was blowing, waves were crashing. And the disciples cried out for fear because they thought they were about to drown. And finally they cried out to him, Lord, do you not care that we're about to drown? Have you ever been there? You ever felt like that? When it feels like you're sinking in life circumstances to the point you don't think you're ever going to make it? What they forgot and what we sometimes forget is who's in the boat with us. Listen to me. If Jesus is asleep on a pillow, you ain't got nothing to worry about. If he's in the boat with you, he is able by his mighty power to bring you through whatever storm you face. And the Bible says Jesus steps up on the top side of the boat, speaks to the wind and the waves, and just like that, the storm was stilled. The wind stopped blowing, the waves stopped crashing, and the sea became just like a tranquil farm pond, if you've ever seen one. It's amazing. What did his disciples say? Verse number 40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know what they were beginning to realize? If he has power over the wind and the waves, he's got to be God. How could he do this? Listen to me, folks. Listen to me. He can do all this because he is the Son of God. He is God the Son. 
power over disease, death, disasters. Give me, I'm going to tell you something else. He had power over demonic spirits. Luke chapter number 8, the Bible says that him and his disciples went over the Sea of Galilee to the country of the Gadarenes. And when they stepped off the boat, there was a demoniac there who had thousands of demons in him. And the Bible teaches that this man, they, they tried to do everything they could with him. He was running around in the graveyard at night naked, cutting himself with stones. And so they tried to put chains on him and he would break the chains. They tried to put him in a, in a, in a lockdown in a, in a jail of some kind, in a, in a confinement, and he'd break loose. No man could control him. And the Bible says that when Jesus stepped off the boat, this man came running and fell down, being controlled by the demons, at the feet of Jesus. And, had, and you know what he said? Have mercy on me, thou son of God. I said before you can and should respect the power of Satan but you don't have to fear him greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world how did Jesus have complete power over the demons I'll tell you how because he's the son of God and he is God the son if you believe it say amen this morning the Bible then says after Jesus cast out those demons from the man that the man at the end of the story was clothed and in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus begging the Lord that he could follow him when he left. You know what Jesus said? You got work to do right here. You go tell all your countrymen of who I am and what I've done for you. Isn't that amazing? Do you know Jesus is still in the life-changing business? Do you know Jesus can do for you what you never thought possible? You know Jesus can forgive your sin? You know Jesus can set you free? Do you know Jesus can give you peace? Listen to me now, that passes all understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do you know Jesus can give you purpose for the life you're living? Do you know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? How can he do this? Because he's the son of God. And he's God the son. And he proved it not just with his words, but with his actions. 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 1. Watch this. How do we know this is true? John, the disciple of the Lord, when writing in 1 John, puts it like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, watch what he says, of the word of life. Who's he talking about? Well, let's answer his questions. Who was from the beginning? God the Son. The Son of God. Who had John heard? Who did John hear at the, at the Mount of Olives when Jesus preached? Who did he hear preaching? Jesus, God. Who did John hear for three and a half years while he followed him in his, in his earthly ministry? Jesus, the Son of God. Who had Jesus saw with his own, who had John saw with his own eyes cast out dem demonic spirits and raise up dead people and listen, heal diseases and calm the wind and the waves? Who had John saw, saw do that? The Son of God, Jesus, God the Son. 
So who's he talking about in 1 John 1.1? He's talking about Jesus and he said, I know he is exactly who he claimed to be because I heard him with my ears, I saw him with my eyes, I handled him with my hands, I know exactly what he did and didn't do. See, what we have on the pages of Scripture is eyewitness accounts of the ministry of Jesus. It's not hearsay. John said, I heard it and seen him for myself. Verse number two. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father when was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. My statement concerning Jesus is this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. We know this because of the proof of prophecy. We know this because of the proof of His power. He had power over disease, death, demons, and disasters. And number three, Jesus is the Savior of all mankind. How do we know it? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians, chapter number 15. We're going to be here in about two weeks in our Wednesday night studies, and I cannot wait till we get to First Corinthians 15. Look what it says. First Corinthians 15, verse number 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. John, when speaking, John the Baptist, when speaking to his disciples, when he saw Jesus walking in John 1.29, listen to what he said. He looked at his disciples and he said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What did John mean by that? He's the one who has came to do what the Father promised. He's the lamb without spot or blemish that's going to take care of the sins of the world, take away the sins of the world. He's the one you look to. He's the one you follow. Now, how do I know Jesus is the lamb of God? How do I know Jesus is Savior? I'll tell you how. Jesus is the lamb of God. Listen to me. Because first and foremost, he was born perfect. You remember what the Bible said in Luke chapter 1? Mary said, how can these things be when Gabriel told her she was going to bear a son? I've never known a man. I'm a virgin. And, and she, what, he, what did Gabriel tell her? That the power of the Most High would overshadow her and that holy thing in her would be called what? The Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. Listen to me. Jesus was born as the Son of God so that he might become the Lamb of God. See, if he was born in the seed of Adam, the Bible says that he would be born spiritually dead. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 was talking about. In Adam all die. We all come here being born into sin, being born spiritually dead, standing in need of a Savior. 
Each and every one of us. Not so of Jesus, though. He wasn't born of the seed of Adam. How many of you know all of us have one thing in common for sure? All of us have a papa and his name's Adam. And Adam messed up in the Garden of Eden. Adam chose to disobey God, and when Adam disobeyed God, sin entered the world, and sin was passed down generation to generation to generation all the way down to you and me because all of us were born of Adam's seed. Being born into sin means that we were born spiritually dead, separated from God. So listen to me now. Jesus had to be born perfect if he was going to be the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. That perfect sacrifice free of sin. See, I couldn't die for you and it'd be acceptable to God even if I wanted to. Wouldn't be acceptable to God. Why? Because He's holy and He requires a perfect sacrifice. Jesus was born perfect because He's the Son of God. But now listen to me. He lived perfect because He's God the Son. <laughs> he lived perfectly upon this earth for 33 and a half years. The Bible says there was no deceit in his mouth. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is born perfect because he's the son of God. He lived perfect because he's God the son. And Jesus is the savior. Listen to me now. Because he shed his blood, not for his sins, but for yours. There's a very popular painting. I can't remember who painted it, but I know many of you probably saw it. It's a picture of the manger scene, the, the, the stable scene where Jesus was laid in the manger. And the way the artist paints the picture is with the moon shining bright through the stable in the background. And so you have Mary and, 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 and Joseph and the wise men and, and, and baby Jesus there in the stable. And then you have that light shining through the back. And, and if you look closely, you see that the light casts a shadow on the post at the back of the stable. And the shadow it casts is in the shape of a cross there on the ground. I love it. Now what he's trying to say to you is what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Yes, there was a baby born in the manger, but not just any baby. That was the Son of God and God the Son. And that baby was born to die perfectly for my sin and for your sin. And he did die. But the Bible says he didn't stay dead. He rose again and conquered death, hell, and the grave so that all who trust in him by grace through faith can be saved and you too can conquer death, hell, and the grave. This is the Christ of Christmas. Amen? Everybody stand together this morning. Now this is my question. What have you done with him? What have you done with him? 
I'm not asking you what mama's done with him or what daddy's done with him. I'm not asking you what decision, uh, listen, your papa's made concerning Christ or what decision the pastor's made concerning Christ or the deacon's made concerning Christ. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized. I'm not asking if you try your best. Because the truth is, none of that saves you. None of it. The Bible says you are saved when you place faith, when you place trust in the finished work of Christ for your sin. What decision have you made? Not anybody else. What decision have you made concerning Jesus? If you've not yet trusted in Him, why not today? I can't think of a better time to receive God's free gift of salvation than at Christmas time. If you want a good Christmas present, you can get it this morning. You can. The price has already been paid. He paid it all. Everything that needs to be done for you to be born again has been done. Now all you got to do is receive that free gift. By grace, through faith. I'd love to show you what that means. Won't you come this morning if you need to be saved? If you're here today and you already are saved, listen, maybe you've got some lost friends or loved ones you want to pray for. Maybe you've got some situations, some stuff in your life that you need to pray about. Let me tell you this. Men, women, boys, and girls have been getting alone in an altar with God just like this all throughout the history of the Bible. I myself I've spent many times with the Lord at an altar just like this. And it makes all the difference. Prayer changes things. So if you need to pray for that stuff in your life that's going on, this altar is a great place to do it. You need to get unconfessed sin out of your life, Christian. Listen, that altar is a great place to do it. Whatever you need today, God is able. Do you believe me? I'm telling you. The Son of God and God the Son is still able to do what's needed in your life. That's the Christmas message. He himself inserted himself in our mess to do for us what we couldn't do. Trust him today.